Hello, and welcome to the Healthcare Solutions Project, the podcast where we get to know health industry innovators who are working to improve cost, quality, and health outcomes and enhance patient and clinician satisfaction. I'm Don Siemens, and today I'm chatting with a man who has made it his mission to help patients heal while at the same time driving costs out of the system, John Thresher. John, welcome to the program. Thank you very much. Thanks for having me. So John is the Vice President of Strategic Growth and Development at Arosti, a provider group that focused is focused on delivering improved outcomes and patient experience while driving down healthcare costs. That, John, is an interesting mission for a provider group. Yeah, uh, well, we think it should be the mission, obviously, of every uh, healthcare provider group. And I think sure. um, it likely is in concept uh, in the execution. However, sometimes that doesn't play out. And, um, you know, as an organization, our mission statement is around delivering the best treatment on the planet um, with a genuine passion for healing patients and impacting the lives of our patients. And at the end of the day, that um that focus, that patient-centered focus, ha- is has been over the years, over the last 16 years of our existence. What's driven us to focus on, you know, that cost, that quality, um, because we think both of those things are extraordinarily important in impacting a patient's life. Obviously, you you, you want to help them, but you also don't want to bankrupt them, right? Yeah, right. Well, that's fantastic, and I want to get into the details of what Arasti is all about, but I've. We have used the word mission a few times already in this conversation, and you're very familiar with missions, having served as a helicopter pilot in the U.S. Army. Could you give us a synopsis of your career before you got into healthcare? Uh, sure. Yeah, I uh, went to the United States Military Academy at West Point and graduated from there um, with uh, a rank that was high enough to get to get me into flight school, which was the goal. <laughs> okay. Um, and. And so uh, immediately following that, um, got married, um, was headed down the path, starting a family and moved to Fort Rucker, Alabama to start flight school. Um, And from there, progressed through eight years of active duty, serving as a a helicopter pilot, a company commander, um, multiple tours in uh, a deployed status, um, both before, well, both after um, 9-11, as a matter of fact. Mm. Um, and uh, also we had some really interesting opportunities and uh, honestly extraordinarily rewarding opportunities to command helicopter units who were doing uh, domestic life-saving um, events and wow. Hurricane Katrina and the like. Wow. Um, and so I did that for, uh, again, for eight years um, and and then exited the military and jumped into the healthcare space. But then again, in, I guess, 2013, um, I rejoined that sort of mission around helicopter flying. So today I'm still a, a helicopter pilot, instructor pilot in the Texas National Guard. Well, that's fantastic. Do yeah. you find that there's a connection between the work you did in the Army and the work you're doing today? Um, it's a good question. Um, and it's, uh, I don't, it's hard to describe or define. I guess what I would tell you is, um, the military teaches, or at least taught me, Mm -hmm. um, to identify the things that are critical. There's always, there's always too much to do, right? Especially post 9-11 world for our military. There's always too much to do. There's a lot going on. There's extraordinary stressors, that are placed on units and individuals. And 
Um, what the military taught me was to really figure out a way to prioritize, to scrape away the things that are just ankle biters or white noise or um, aren't really impactful to the overall mission that you're trying to accomplish. Mm. And then focus on just a, a few um, key aspects that are actually going to make a difference in whatever it is that you're trying to accomplish. Um, I almost call it, you know, in, in aviation, we had this term sensory gating. It's not just an aviation term, but sensory gating mm-hmm. where you could block out certain senses and focus on the one, the instrument or the sound in the radio or whatever it is at that moment that's right. most critical or most important to your mission. Doing the same thing in healthcare or doing the same thing as a leader in the strategic growth and development side is um, – has been beneficial to me. That makes complete sense. So you got out of the army, you got into healthcare. What, how did you decide to go from being a helicopter pilot to, to the healthcare industry? What's that story? That's another interesting question. I, you know, I graduated uh, from the United States military Academy with an engineering degree, then went into aviation, didn't use necessarily my engineering degree. Um, and from a professional standpoint for the eight years that I was in the military and then went into healthcare on the industry side with, uh, Johnson and Johnson and Stryker and a couple mm-hmm. other companies, none of that ever focused on that original degree. None of it ever really tying together with my aviation career. Um, it's kind of, kind of interesting. It, um, um, but I, I would say um, a big piece of the decision-making process to getting into healthcare at the outset of my civilian career was tied to both my father and my sister's uh, careers in healthcare. My dad um, has been involved in military healthcare administration. He was a medevac mm-hmm. helicopter pilot for a number of years, but also mm-hmm. um, in, in healthcare administration and then um, – working with TRICARE um, and leading a, a few of their organizations mm-hmm. and just being heavily focused in the military healthcare side. And then my sister's a pediatrician um, and she's older than I am. And so she entered her medical career uh, well before I left the army. And so the, I think those two things um, sort of made medicine um, familiar to me and, and probably a natural fit um, for my skill set. Hmm. How did you connect with Arasi after getting into the healthcare industry? Uh, a couple of ways. Um, first of which, Arasi is a San Antonio-based company. I live in San Antonio. I was um, working uh, with another healthcare company is in, in a sales role, business development role um, here in town. And Arasi's got some brand recognition, obviously, being based here and, and being um, really prominent in the state of Texas as a healthcare provider group. Um, and the clinical experience that I, as a patient had, you know, as a healthcare consumer had experience with the Rosti dealing with some musculoskeletal pain related to time in the military mm-hmm. related to some old, you know, kind of football injuries and the like that right. were musculoskeletal in nature. You get an experience with the Rosti that it's something that I'd never experienced. I never experienced with it with any other type or brand of healthcare, um, provider that I dealt with. They're just, it was an interesting and effective niche that I'd never, I just honestly never experienced. And obviously we can get into why that is, but um, that's part of why I connected with Arasti. Uh, also have a friend who um, I've, you know, 
who had a very similar background to myself and in the military and, and in college and in aviation. And uh, he uh, works at Arosti. And so we connected there. Um, and then finally, I think the decision to actually join the company was grounded in um, something that goes back to my military days and that I think it was it was uh, something that I missed when I left the military and I didn't really realize it for the first few years, but it started to become very apparent and just my own personal self-worth and my sense of self-worth mm-hmm. as, um, as a contributor to society, like in the military. And I think in any service um, in, dis- in, in any line of, you know, kind of service, government service, um, um, fire, police, public service, whatever there's for the most part i think there's commonality that folks have a desire to do something that's sort of greater than themselves and when i left the army i lost that uh lost touch with that a little bit i think i I felt more like an individual contributor in a sales development role um and that just didn't suit my personality um type and didn't sort of land on my higher levels of of my hierarchy of needs um Mm -hmm. and from a fulfillment standpoint and finding erosity and the fact that as a company we are so dedicated and focused to that passion for um, impacting positively, impacting the lives of our patients. That I felt like I was I was coming into an organization that was again focused on something greater than ourselves. We were focused on really impacting this space that, for a long time, um, I think was missing a piece. Mm-hmm. Um, and then that piece is something that we provide. So uh, joining the company was just something that I think rekindled that flame um, in me. Interesting. So I've gotten to know your organization a bit over the last few months. We've collaborated on a project with Blue Health Intelligence. And one of the things I found interesting about it is the name Arasti is actually an acronym. It is indeed. Um, And it's probably confusing to a lot of people. And we recognize that. And you can't drive down the street and see an Arasti sign on a building and immediately recognize, hey, there's a place I can go for conservative musculoskeletal care uh, (laughs) that's really efficient and really effective um, in in an attempt to avoid a surgery or some other intervention. It just doesn't convey that necessarily, but it's grounded in um, the early um, and and the early days of our company, I guess would say, but also in the clinical roots of our company that we still hold very true to the, the acronym is the applied integration for the rapid recovery of soft tissue injuries. Um, so that's a mouthful and we recognize <laughs> that, but at the end of the day, um, the, the, the clinical product, if you will, what is being delivered from a care perspective is, um, it is very consistent. It's rooted in evidence-based medicine. It's um, it's focused on patient outcomes um, and uh, a patient-centered approach, and and it's very consistent across all of our practices. We are dedicated to um, to training and managing our providers and our practices to uh, reduce clinical variability and. We recognize, you know, with musculoskeletal in particular, uh, clinical variability is extraordinarily wide across all disciplines who have some um, spot or some place in this musculoskeletal sort of ecosystem, whether you're talking about DC, PT, 
uh, MD, DO, you know, uh, primary care, ortho, urgent care, emergency room, like all of these different sort of spaces have some piece or part in the uh, inappropriate piece or part in the musculoskeletal ecosystem. But but patients for a patient, that's extraordinarily confusing. Right. And so right. Um, so we've just remained really dedicated and focused on ensuring that there's a very consistent conservative care methodology by which our providers um, deliver care. And that original acronym is sort of where that's all based from. So I think that the arc that Arosti has taken to become a regional player in the treatment of soft tissue injuries, that seems really interesting to me. Where did Arosti start and how did you get you, the company, get to where you are today? Yeah, the company started actually um, in a little town out in the hill country of Texas and uh, about an hour from any real airport in Austin or San Antonio and um, started with an individual provider who was getting some pretty amazing outcomes. And over time, as that um, first provider uh, made the decision to retire, um, our founder, a really innovative guy, um, tried to figure out how to replicate what it is that was happening there. Is there a way that we could develop a training plan such that um, we could bring, bring providers in. They could be focused on this very narrow, uh, I say narrow is probably not the right word, but this very focused evidence-based approach um, to, muscu- to soft tissue injuries, musculoskeletal, joint pain, muscle strains, and the like, um, and replicate that and scale it, um, which is a pretty hard thing to do. And uh in those early days, um, our founder, a guy named Sean Tipton, um, who's really a genius around this, helped bring together some folks who were able to accomplish just that. And, um, and so the first providers that came in were able to sort of learn from this initial, um, uh, physical therapy provider out in the, out in the hill country of Texas and develop a training plan um, that they could then deliver to new providers who obviously fit the mold of what we were trying to build at Arosti from a patient experience perspective and from a clinical perspective. And that's how we started. And that's how we grew out of Austin, Texas and into San Antonio, Texas, and then across the state of Texas before we, uh, then built uh, out some markets outside of Texas from Virginia to Ohio to um, the greater Seattle area with now over 250 providers uh, across all of those locations. That's, so. that's really impressive. You know, you, you mentioned we talked a lot about mission. And what I find interesting is that healthcare is a mission driven industry. And that's true of providers, that's true of payers, that's true of people who are in this industry across the board. And yet, healthcare is in is a mess. It's, it's kind of in terrible shape. Let's, let's talk about the challenge that the healthcare system is facing in terms of cost and quality. How did we, as mission-driven as we are, being the healthcare system at large, get ourselves into the, the mess that we were in today? Um, I mean, wow, complex question, right? <laughs> and there are no doubt um, a million theories and, and schools of thought on this. And and I don't mean to simpl- oversimplify this, but back, back to your question about how my military experience applies to 
um, to my time in the healthcare industry or at Rossi, you know, really trying to scrape away what I think are the the sort of ankle biters around the edges of this and focus on what I think the root cause of the problem is. Um, it, it, it's it's a it's a it's a difference in what the end user or the the plan sponsor or the payer, uh, the person that's actually putting their money on the line for the delivery of healthcare, I guess the customer would be the right term for that. The, the, the difference in what that customer is looking for and how the system is designed to respond to that is kind of staggering. I mean, you think about it, it, myself as a healthcare consumer, I'm looking for the best quality and the lowest cost, not necessarily unit cost, I'm looking for the lowest overall cost for my particular musculoskeletal episode, right? Um, right. I, you know, whatever. I, I, I break my leg. I want to navigate the healthcare system or I want the healthcare system to help me navigate it in a way that's most effective, gets me fixed the fastest with the best possible outcome. And I, from start to finish, have... Um, have maximized my healthcare dollars. That, um, you know, when you look at that, and I think that's what value-based healthcare is trying to drive towards and, and sort of shift that mentality. But you look at the way the system has been built for years, it's been designed around unit cost and fee for service and, uh, um, and, and driving down that individual unit cost. So you think if you're a healthcare provider out there in the market and you got reimbursed, you know, $10 for a procedure yesterday and then today, because we're trying to drive down the cost of healthcare, instead of, instead of looking at the quality that you provide and the efficiencies that you provide in the system, we just go, we're going to look at that, at your discount. And, and now we want to pay you $8 for that individual procedure well, now the providers got to do something to sort of maintain their revenue or, or, or um, continue to grow their practice or grow their healthcare business. And so the healthcare providers forced to, you know, either improve their efficiencies in the office, decrease the amount of time they're spending with the patient, increase the number of patients they're seeing in a day, increase the complexity of the services that they provide. Mm -hmm. Like all of that is, is, sort of driving the opposite, I think, of what the healthcare system's trying to do, which is reduce overall cost of care, or reduce unnecessary care, uh, improve quality, so improve time with the patient, improve the overall health of our society. And and so those two things sort of sit uh, diametrically opposed to one another. And figuring out a way to establish a reimbursement structure that that will afford a provider to spend the, you know, the amount of time they need to spend with the patient and perform the care that they need to perform on a patient, I think is critical to the system. Um, I also think cost transparency and quality transparency is key to the system. It's something that's been missing um, for years. I, I, I can go to the grocery store and I know exactly how much it costs and what the ingredients are and what the nutritional facts are on anything I want to buy in that store because there's costs and there's really quality transparency there. I can research any of it. I know exactly what I am consuming. So as a consumer, I'm informed. Well, I should be informed um, walking into a grocery store. And, and, and that's sort of, I think, the opposite of the, the case that exists in healthcare. Um, 
it's confusing and there isn't a lot of quality or cost transparency. We do a lot of social uh, media or crowdsourcing of healthcare information. You know, who would you go see if you had this condition? Mm-hmm. And we, we rely on all our friends to say, hey, I had a great experience at Dr. Um, Smith or Dr. Jones's office, or you should go try a Rosti or whatever um, that, you know, without, without really having uh, empirical data that says, Hey, this, you know, these five surgeons in town are getting the best outcomes with the lowest cost um, or the most appropriate cost. So that, so that as a patient, I can make a decision. I can go, I want to spend my healthcare dollars with this surgeon over here who's potentially a little bit more expensive because the quality is there and I'm willing to pay for that quality or, or vice versa. There's just no information out there, I think, that's easily consumable from a from an end user perspective. And that's a challenge. That's a big challenge. There, there's so many challenges and, you know, we, we could try to boil the ocean and that's not going to work. I'm a firm believer that there are a number of solutions out there. There's no silver bullet, but there's a lot of organizations and a lot of people doing a lot of great things. So let's talk about Arasti and how you and Arasti are approaching the challenges that you just talked about. At the end of the day, I think it boils down to a couple of very key things. Um, One is quality time with the patient. You've got to spend the appropriate amount of time with the patient to accomplish all of the things that published clinical guidelines say that you should be doing for a particular condition and for musculoskeletal that's really important um you know it prevents unnecessary care if you're spending um you know and, and i'll just talk about it from an erosity perspective um we schedule an hour with every single patient and if you're spending that kind of time with a patient you have the opportunity to go through all of the um comprehensive evaluation, orthopedic range of motion, muscle, functional testing to render an accurate diagnosis without the need for ordering unnecessary um, diagnostic tests, an unnecessary image or um, an unnecessary, um, you know, high cost uh, MRI or CT scan, those kinds of things to, to render that accurate diagnosis for the most part. Obviously, those tools are necessary in certain circumstances to rule out contraindications, red flags for conservative care. But for a vast majority of our patients, um, and, and, and I think the vast majority of m- most people's patients out there, it, um, that kind of stuff is, it shouldn't be necessary. If you have a really good grasp on what orthopedic literature says are the appropriate functional and, and orthopedic tests to be performing for a particular symptomology of the shoulder, then, um, then having time to perform those tests and render that accurate diagnosis can significantly reduce costs and, and I think improve outcomes as well. Um, so getting to that accurate diagnosis then allows, um, again, and having the time to do this allows our providers to appropriately educate the patient on their injury condition. There's a lot of, um, I would say, I don't say healthcare dollar savings, probably not the right way to, um, to say that there's, there's just a lot of value. That's probably the right way to say it mm-hmm. in educating the patient on their injury condition. If I know that this isn't, you know, I'm not going to die from this. This is something that I can work through. I'm not going to further injure myself potentially by doing some exercises or some rehab work. 
Um, and I've got that confidence and that understanding that, you know, Hey, this is not something maybe more serious. This is just, um, this is just really painful to me and we can work on that. Um, that's really important. Uh, and that, that helps stave off a, a whole host of unnecessary, um, healthcare visits from a patient. And what we found, if you look at the psychology of a patient who's in pain is that, they will continue to churn the system. They will continue to seek care across the musculoskeletal ecosystem until they are either out of pain or they are out of money. They, I mean, it's just a fact. It's, it's pain. Low back pain is a great example. It's just something that's debilitating and it forces patients to go bounce around the system. Um, and that's costly. Um, that, that, that results in significant duplication in care that results in unnecessary care because people are just trying to do the right thing and fix the patient. Uh, and by fix the patient, I mean, get them out of pain. Right. I think it results in unnecessary prescriptions of pain medications mm -hmm. and the like. Um, it's just, it, it's one of the reasons I think musculoskeletal is this really hard thing to wrap your arms around. And so, um, focusing on that patient education is a, is a really big piece. It's almost behavioral health in nature. Um, hmm. and then, uh, again, having that, that time, that hour that we schedule with the patient allows us the ability to do what really the evidence says for the conditions that we're seeing in practice and, and able to impact, um, is the most appropriate for, uh, for rapid re result. And you recall that acronym that you asked me about earlier, yeah, right. uh, the, the, the middle two R's rapid recovery, mm -hmm. we're still focused on that rapid recovery. And so we focus on evidence-based manual therapy to, uh, reduce pain, remove restrictions in the appropriate range of motion for a particular injury or condition, and then active care exercises that are transportable. They don't require you really to come into our office mm -hmm. and, and hook yourself to a machine or be a part of. Um, any kind of larger um, facility to accomplish your active care, it's transportable and it's something that you could do at home. It's something that you could do in your office. Um, it's some of the exercises, you know, you could even do in your car when you're sitting at a stoplight wow. for some of the conditions that we treat. And that the goal of that is manual therapy, reduce, remove uh, pain, re reduce, remove restrictions in that appropriate range of motion, and then apply positive stress and strain to that tissue and the appropriate arcs and ranges of motion for your injury or condition to promote healing and what results from that and that very narrow focus on care it's really all we do like we're not we're not a we're not a provider group that has um a whole host of other sort of modalities that we would implement or care that we would do or surgeries or any of that we focus very narrowly on that evidence-based manual therapy and active care as the treatment that we provide following that diagnosis. And that, that ultimately results in really fast recovery times. And that rapid recovery is about three visits. So wow. our average sits at 3.2 visits to, uh, to injury resolution for 88% of our patients. That is, that's incredible. It's a really intriguing model. What kind of results are you seeing from that model? How do you quantify that? We quantify in a couple of ways uh, from a results perspective. One of those is patient reported outcomes. Um, and, and we've, you know, again, back to uh, some of our earlier days, um, have been collecting outcomes for now. Uh, goodness, um, it's 2020, isn't it? Uh, we've been collecting <laughs> outcomes for the last 
uh, 11 or 12 years and on uh, case reported outcomes. And for a long time, you know, that was sort of thought of as uh, unimportant or anecdotal in nature. And, and I think um, as the system has evolved, as the healthcare and, and really the musculoskeletal ecosystem has evolved, it's really become evident that patient reported outcomes are extraordinarily important to musculoskeletal care. You think about uh, a whole bunch of conditions that are out there that are sort of asymptomatic from a patient perspective. I don't feel that I have high blood pressure necessarily. I don't feel that I have high cholesterol mm -hmm. until there's an, uh, a significant adverse event, right? And so the patient's, you know, pain, pain scale for high cholesterol doesn't really matter. Doesn't matter, right? It's the blood test that tells the the, the doctor that you've got a, you've got high cholesterol. You need to get on some medications, or you need to get that fixed, you need to repair your diet pretty quickly, or you will have that adverse event, that heart attack that you obviously don't want, or that stroke. And, and in musculoskeletal, on the other hand, the, the number one indicator for a patient to walk into a doctor's office to, uh, to get treatment for musculoskeletal care is pain. That's the symptom, right? I got pain. I got, I mean, whether it's a fracture, whether it's a tear, whether it's a strain, whether it's some kind of joint dysfunction, that uh, or, or degenerative uh, nerve involvement, any of that, really the symptom is this hurts. And so a patient walks in. And so when a patient tells us that this doesn't hurt anymore, it's really important to musculoskeletal. They stop seeking care in the muscul in, in the healthcare system. They stop spending healthcare dollars. They're back to a high quality of life. They're back to what it is that they love to do. And so that's to us, it's extraordinarily important to focus on those patient-reported outcomes. Tell us, are we making an impact on your pain level? Are we making an impact on your function level and your quality of life? Are you getting a great experience in our office so we can keep you engaged in your own recovery um, as we go through your treatment plan? So those are the things we've been tracking from a, from a patient-reported outcomes perspective. We sit at 3.2 average visits across uh, over 800,000 recorded patient cases in our EHR in the last um, 10 years or so. Um, it's actually creeping up on 900,000 patient cases at this point. 88.3% uh, injury resolution rate. So one of the things that, um, there's, you know, there's a couple of things that tie into that. We, uh, the, the evidence-based care that we provide um, and the event evaluation and, and management of those patients uh, is obviously creating significant improvement in those patients' lives and, and, and pain scales, delivering that 88% resolution. But another piece to that is we really focus on ruling out patients who aren't appropriate for ROSTI care um, mm -hmm. in the early stages of, of their visits. You know, in that first evidence or in that first um, comprehensive patient evaluation, if a patient presents with a contraindication or red flag or something that would, would preclude them from moving down this conservative care pathway. Either they've got to go take care of some other health care, uh, I'm sorry, health issue, or they've got to actually go seek some downstream care from uh, a ROSTI, some higher acuity care, uh, surgeon, pain management, whatever that is. Um, we are very focused on steering to uh, high value healthcare providers and downstream. And we're constantly working to try to improve um, that downstream network um, and really and really address or impact our overall episodic costs. But 
um, back to sort of the outcomes that we're trying to deliver that, um, that 88% injury resolution in those 3.2 visits are really for the appropriate cases, right? We're talking about patients who should be seeing a Rosti. Um, the interesting thing is if you look at that 88.3% injury resolution, obviously there's, there's about 12%, right. That aren't getting resolved, but we also look at patients satisfaction scores and, and our sits at 99.6%. So 996 people out of a thousand are saying that they refer us to their friends and family, that they had a great experience. Um, that's 12% of that 996, um, just about is, uh, our patients that didn't have an injury resolution with us, but they still recognize the value in the evaluation and, and education. And then, and downstream steerage that they received to other healthcare providers for their particular injury, the injury or condition that they'd recommend, recommend a Rossi. I guess that at the end of the day, they were just surprised or, uh, or very satisfied with the fact that we just didn't adopt a patient in and churn them through six weeks or 12 weeks or some longer term treatment plan before we then said, you're not appropriate for conservative care. You should go somewhere else. Um, they, they really appreciate the fact that we do that early on in the, in the episode. Um, and then we look at, from a patient-reported uh, perspective, what other types of care they received and what other types of care they, again, patient-reported, are saying that they're no longer going to seek out in the healthcare system. So by that, I mean, we asked patients, had you, have you had a surgery or have you been told you needed a surgery? Have you had an image for this? Have you had other types of care for this that, that didn't uh, ultimately resolve your injury condition? And then we asked them how at the end of their care on their discharge survey, how Rosti helped them um, reduce or eliminate the further use of their healthcare resources downstream. You know, did we help reduce your uh, prescription medication usage? Did we help you or did we prevent a, uh, a, a physician recommended surgery with the conservative care that we provided? And, and we track all of that um, as well. And we're sitting at over 15,000 uh, surgeries avoided again, according hmm. to um, according to the patient, right? That's they patient, showed up right. 15,000 said I was told I needed surgery and put more than, 15,000, but, but, but of the patients who showed up and said, I was told I needed a surgery for this 15,000 of them left us and said, yeah, I, I don't plan to seek that surgery. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's from a patient reported outcomes perspective, what we look at. And then we look at it from a claims perspective. We've partnered with a number of claims analytics firms over the last seven, uh, six, seven years, uh, seven or eight years. Um, and, uh, utilizing in the most recent uh, work that we've done, utilizing um, blue health intelligence data across uh, a rolling four years, um, looking at musculoskeletal claims data across the state of Texas, but also other blue health intelligence states. Um, we measured Arosti versus the rest of the healthcare system um, and how an Arosti attributed patient, somebody that Arosti is managing their musculoskeletal care, um, how, how they, um, act, well, what the results are for that individual mm-hmm. patient or the aggregate group of patients who are Arosti 
um, from a total cost of care perspective for their episode, from a surgical utilization, from a high-tech imaging utilization perspective. Um, we've looked at it on an opioid, a filled opioid prescription perspective. Um, we've looked at length of episodes and, mm. and the number of unique days in care that a patient um, is out of office or out of work or away from school or whatever they're um, whatever they've got going on in their life unique days that they have to actually leave and go to a doctor's appointment one to multiple doctor's appointments in those individual days and we've looked at all of those sort of factors and remained you know to, to number one validate those patient reported outcomes you know is what the patient is saying actually impacting the total cost and the utilization of healthcare um dollars and, and, and utilization of the healthcare system, but also uh, how can we as a company become more efficient? What can we do both with our in-office care uh, and our patient education platforms, um, our downstream care partnerships, you know, anything we're doing to collaborate with uh, ACOs, anything we're doing to collaborate with specialists, how can we do a better job of streamlining care so that our overall episode costs, including those patients who who aren't resolved by Rusty, uh, is reduced or impacted. Does that make sense? Yeah, it definitely makes sense. What's the what's the end for you in, in your mission? If at the end of your career you look back and say, "I accomplished something," what do you hope to accomplish? Hmm. You know. Um, Man, hey, way to ask the easy questions on this. Uh, on <laughs> that's this. why I kept this one to the last. That, yeah, that's um, it's hard to, I guess, articulate, but um, I'll try to simplify it and uh, tell you that honestly, it, my job is to expand the awareness that Arosti is a solution that exists in the market and to expand Arosti's capability to deliver the, the type of care or um, a, a form of the type of care that we've provided for the last 16 years in practice across a much larger, um, a, a, much, more, a much larger geography or, or really just to improved accessibility to that care. Uh, and, and at the end of the day, I'd, you know, my goal would be to see Arosti as a true national solution for musculoskeletal. Um, I, it's it's really hard for us to work with you know large employer groups who um, who have lives across all fifty states. It's really hard for any healthcare provider. I say us. It's really hard for any healthcare provider where True where enough. you know you you think about when hands are laid on patients to fix them um, and there's an actual healthcare interaction for the, for the most part, that's gotta be, and that's gotta be human to human contact, right? Or some um, digital human to human contact potentially um, with, with a digital interface. And, and so that's really hard for healthcare providers, large hospital systems. I mean, some of the largest hospital systems in the country don't exist across all 50 states, right? And, mm-hmm. and so to partner with somebody who's very focused on um, delivering the a consistent 
consistent patient-centered evidence-based outcome um, from for any condition, musculoskeletal being ours, but any condition is really tough to do. Um, and and so my goal is to strategize within our organization and with our partners external to our organization to, to improve that access to our our version of high quality care in some way, shape, or form that that would allow you know a national employer, a national carrier, whatever to um, to systemize what it is that we're doing and um, deliver that across you know all fifty states. Well, John, that's a great answer, and thank you so much for sitting down with me today. We've spoken a few times before, and it's always a pleasure to get together. And I want to thank Absolutely. you. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. I want to thank you not only for your service to the country and the military, but also for doing what you're doing right now to improve the health and affordability for your patients. So, to learn more about John and about Arosti, you can go to arosti.com. And I think I need to spell that probably. That's A I R R O S T I.com. John, thanks again. <laughs>